0: This is the Masters of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim.
1: And um, my name's Tom.
0: And this is our 55th episode, I think it is. And we are discussing Man with a Movie Camera, Zygavertov's 1929 experimental silent documentary, montage film, city symphony, I think is the
1: word that's thrown around a lot. In your introduction there, you've really kind of, uh, I think for me, encapsulated many of the... Uh... The, thought, the thoughts that I have on this film In the fact that it is so hard to classify mm-hmm. And coming into the uh, research for this I was looking at kind of other city films And kind of really kind of thinking about is this Is kind of even a genre in of itself And I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure It seems to be a, a, stra- a, a strand of documentary filmmaking But when I kind of went back and watched uh, The Man with the Movie Camera I, I kind of felt that this was so many things that it's one of the most unique films I've ever come across Uh, and Mm. people still talk about it in the context of being incredibly unique because to me it is completely unclassifiable. I don't know how to really, I, I wouldn't know fully if someone said to me, "What kind of what genre does this belong to?" I, I suppose, in the very very loosest term, I would say it was a documentary. It was rec- It was a couple of years ago, in fact. Sight and Sound voted it the greatest documentary ever made, and they also, a couple of years ago, in their poll of polls of films, said it was the eighth greatest film ever made. Um, and it certainly seems to have kind of stood the test of time as something as a classic. And going back to it for, in preparation for this has been revelatory, I think is the word I would have to use without trying to be too bombastic. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like the first time you, you, know, you came across it? Yeah, it was actually at university and we did it during the documentary um, unit we were, when we were doing that. And we had watched, we'd kind of gone through the, the history of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the um, GPO film movement, which was the basically the British post office. Um, during the 20s and the 30s and the 40s made a, a succession of quite incredible films um re- really just mind-blowing that in, in those days they used to take so much care in making as pretentious it sounded great art in the name of um, selling like what the post office did and our lecturer casually mentioned this because it had, had a great effect on the uh, people a great influence sorry on the people that were directing these films um, Humphrey Jennings being one of them I mean, of, of no relation I'm, I'm sh- sh- sad to say but um and this 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 film got banded about and then it wasn't actually on the course to watch but we decided to watch it one afternoon anyway, is, is in our lectures and it was outstanding i, I it was a, a, just an, an incredible uh, explosion of cinematic delight And it, it stayed with me ever since It's one of the rare films I actually went out straight after that lecture And bought it on VHS I bought it on DVD And I, I bought the BFI Blu-ray And I was obviously thrilled When Masters of Cinema Decided to do such an excellent job With this release And it, it, it's one of my favourite films I, I can honestly say I, I, It's I, I never get bored of it and I, I've, mm. I've, I've, I cannot remember how many times I've watched it I've watched it three times in preparation of this and I've taken out something new out of it every time that I've seen it what was your kind of first exposure to it
0: um, <clears throat> I can't remember the first time I saw it, um, but I knew I know I've seen it before. But the first time I I feel like I've discovered it uh, was the time when I first um, acquired the Masters of Cinema disc, where I could watch it on the big screen and just kind of revel in it um, because it has some incredibly lush photography that just it makes watching it on a big screen so worth it um, and you say that or it's been classified or put in the documentary uh, category but I mean there's so much else going on here besides it documenting it isn't really documenting a city or a life or a movement or anything like that it seems like a, a hodgepodge of cities and like a a mood uh, in the soviet union that day that he's trying to capture or create perhaps
1: yeah uh, I, I think the thing to look at the idea of this it it doesn't have a story it has a frame around it i think is the mm-hmm. best way i would describe it and that frame is to loosely capture what goes on in an average day in a russian city it was actually i mean i don't know if you know, it was actually filmed in i think it was five cities yeah. It wasn't just filmed in the one, so he kind of cheats on that regard. And I don't think, from the, I don't think, in any way, shape, or form, that he's actually interested in making a, a life-like documentary no, to no, say no. this is, you know, the current state of Russia. I think, primarily, I mean, he he, um, he was extremely outspoken, really, on what he wanted to do with cinema. Um, he didn't feel that. He, he, he actually said that um, film drama is the opium of the people um, hmm. one of his other kind of quotes that attributes him is uh, yeah, he said the down with bourgeois fairy tale scenarios and <laughs> long live life uh, it, it is and I, I kind of I mean I think we can kind of attribute the kind of the bombast of that to youth possibly but um, hmm. him, him and his wife and his brother um, cause he, was, he wasn't actually called I don't know if you know he was actually um, his name was actually um, he was David Kaufman I think it was actually his name um, mm-hmm. and he actually changed it to um, Fertov, which was a, a, lit- a literal translation, it means spinning top. And I think um, the, the amount of kind of spinning imagery that we see in the film, is quite fitting it was that. But this is someone, I, he's, he's interested in creating something completely different with film and the mechanics of film and seeing what you can do with the camera. And I think he achieves it m- magnificently in the yeah. film. It's, it's, it's art for art's sake. It's all about the aesthetic. And mm-hmm. I, I'm completely down with that. I, I have no issue with, with with that mentality.
0: yeah, I mean he belonged to like a, a movement of filmmakers that they had a mission, and you only hear about these movements in the present or the past tense where they have a mission to abolish like fiction filmmaking yes. uh, that's not going on anymore. <laughs> But they were like saying you don't need like dialogue, you don't need characters, you don't need intertitles. You just need images and music. And most of his films they were very highly controversial at that time. And indeed, uh, many of the contemporary filmmakers they despised them because it led so much industry, no, so much unrest into the film industry because people were like they felt attacked like what are we doing like Eisenstein uh, those filmmakers such as that um, where they felt uh, these uh, filmmakers coming out from uh, and having this sort of mission to abolish this non-fiction they felt they were threatening their their job and their approach to art Uh, and it wasn't just it, it wasn't just like art for art's sake either because he was a Marxist and he was a communist oh
1: absolutely yeah
0: And it was filmmaking as a tool for the cause of proliferation of those ideas.
1: Yeah, and it's an interesting period in Russian history because you've literally got a country that's hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. And you've got this new political movement that's coming. You've had the 1917 revolution. And I think what... Always, I, I always kind of take out this period When we talk about Russia, you always think about kind of Russia, you know, the Stalin years and then the Cold yeah. War. And there, there is obviously this intervening years from 1917 up until the, kind of the Stalin years where you've kind of got this attempt at creating a utopia to live in. And it, it's something that the world had never seen before. It was a completely new you know, political uh, system. And out of that, you have... I I believe that these kind of political systems, they resemble religion so much, I think, in the way Mm. that that you have kind of the icons and this kind of idea that you have an all-powerful overseer who is literally telling you how the world outside your door looks. And what you obviously have is the fact that it's blatantly apparent that despite everyone saying this is some sort of utopia that you live in, you would see on a day-to-day basis that this simply wasn't true and, you, and your life itself, I dare say, would, if someone's saying, you're, you've got the perfect life, or you might be thinking, well, you know, in mean, Russia wasn't an affluent period, it was going through a massive change. And people would have been still, you know, hungry, and there still would have been a great deal of deprivation and suffering. And what you kind of have is this attempt to reconcile this political movement with art. And it a, walks a very fine line between, mm. propaganda is ridiculous to a degree. Because it, we, I mean, we can look back now and we can, we can, you can look at propaganda pieces coming out from various, you know, any country over the past 50 years, and, and it's, it's, most of it's garbage. And what I think you have here is someone who's trying to create art that is also political, but not overtly being massively propagandic. Mm -hmm. Because the idea, obviously, of having a kind of a, a utopian socialist society is that the individual does somewhat get swallowed up. And going back and watching Man with a Movie Camera, I think it's very telling how much of... how much Vertov's personality and how much of his eye forces itself onto the film, and it becomes more... On the one hand, yes, I think there is a, a, a sense of propaganda about it, but I still think it's an intensely personal film from an artist who's being incredibly individual and creative. Mm.
0: You can definitely sense what his sensibilities are uh, in terms of um, the way he wants to tell a story, the way he wants to take images and like pull them apart and put them together in a different fashion and just his ideas about how cinema works Um, but it's also interesting in that talking about the individual in that the idea of communism is that there is no individual there is only the the proletariat or the, um, the community or everyone together and that kind of reflects how we don't get a character here we get sort of the cameraman um which we follow to a degree um but he's never really given a name he's never really given a face i think so we just follow him from behind usually um he kind of disappears into the crowd most of the times
1: yeah well he it's we see i mean it was his brother doing most of the filming and- mm. And we see the brother... We we film the brother filming. And we're always made aware of the fact that there's a camera. There's a camera either watching the cameraman or the fact that we're never aware... We're we're never not aware that we're watching a film. He constantly breaks the fourth wall Mm -hmm. and and shows us this. And there's no... Dare I say, I think it takes away a certain emotional attachment from the film. We don't have repeating characters. We just have these scenarios that you react to them kind of viscerally. And Mm. you also, I think, I dare say there would have been a sense of um, recognition from the audiences who were seeing the film about aspects of the life. I mean, you can learn a lot from this film about what what Russia was like. I mean, Vertov shows, I mean, drinking is obviously a very important aspect (laughs) of this society. Because you you see it, you know, you, you see the workers sat there, don't you, in various bars, having a beer and having a few drinks. And I don't know if like the people at the beginning are either homeless or they just seem to have passed out drunk. But I think it's interesting because I think it's impossible to make a film and not leave some of your DNA on it. And mm. I, when, when we talk about kind of the collective, I, I think it's even more basic than that. There is a definite sense, I think, that Vertov is enjoying looking at women in mm. this film. I think there is a sexualization to the camera, and I, I that that has to come down to him. I think he you know, he's he's obviously chosen to to look at these people, like the, you know, the the, the girls, you know, caped in mud, the the girl who having in the morning who's you know putting her bra on and all this kind of thing, and they're, they're moments that kind of in a way I I feel I, they they were sort of red flags for me as it were that this was that he was unable really to make not I don't know if he was even trying to. I suppose you should rephrase that, really. The fact that if he was trying to make kind of a piece that was completely without personality and propaganda, he kind of does fail in that department because he does bring so much himself onto it. I don't even know if he was attempting that, to be brutally honest with you. I just think he liked looking at pretty girls and that's where the camera went. But this this idea that the kind of... The, the, the non-narrative story, I think in a way it's quite refreshing because you mm-hmm. can just literally dive in and enjoy it for what it is.
0: Mm i mean the the opening titles in the film it it like he uses such a range of cinematic techniques, um, most of which he invent or some of which he invented himself um, where he has the double exposure the fast motion, slow motion, the freeze frames, and the split screens, and you have these mirroring images and stop motion and everything but he even made these intertitles in the beginning like warning <laughs> warning the crowd that this is an experimental film like this is this is going to be something very different because it's i think his uh last film before this one um it was largely rejected by the critics So sixth part of the part of the world oh, i think right his yes. previous film and within that context he Those opening titles, they kind of struck me as weird, but when I was reading up on the film, it made me understand more why they were there, where he he kind of, he warns us that you're in for something quite different.
1: Yeah, he's, he. when you talk about kind of the, 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 the techniques that he uses, I mean, basically he's He's taken a camera and gone. What? Re- what can I? Re- what can I <laughs> really do with this? You know. I mean, yeah. what, what? What's this thing? This, this this machine that I twist this arm. What? 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 What can it actually do? And let's have some fun with it. And I mean, th- there's something so, I think, liberating about it. I mean, you think about what was going on in Hollywood, and this isn't to kind of diss films of that time, but you, you would have had huge sets. You would have had of a massive variety of cast and crew everyone having a same what's going on and what, what Vertov does is go well let's just see what this act let's actually see what this thing can do and let's take it out on the streets and like you say he kind of does all these wonderful techniques the double exposures even slow motion new to, to all this I mean stop motion split screen and just to talk about I mean briefly about if you if you need any kind of I suppose ...persuasion as to how impressive this film is. To do split screen now is ridiculously easy. You literally go out, you film two things... ...and then you can just go home. You bung it into Premiere Pro or Final Cut or Avid... ...or whatever whatever you're editing on. And then you literally just have... ...press a button and there you go. There's your split screen. You add your two clips in and and you're off. What he was having to do... ...would be to cover half the lens... ...film, literally film the one half of something... Rewind the film Cover the other half And then shoot the other half Of what he was trying to do All in camera mm. To have to think about that To, to have the kind of the, To have to plan it To have to actually Mechanically do that process And then you've got All kinds of things That can go wrong The lighting might be wrong In one of the exposures It might be slightly out of focus You might not get what you want And then you'd have to go back And do the whole thing again So this is something he's, he's, he's trying to show us really In the film the mechanics of filmmaking as being an actual thing that has to be done that someone has to kind of actively play a part in and that's why it does break the fourth wall in a way when we kind of keep seeing the camera because what he's saying is this is essentially a job as well this is mm-hmm. uh, this is actually something people do and it's not just being done for for, for fun you know, i mean you can see it in the film as well there's times when his brother who this film took four years to make, and his brother vowed never to work with him again afterwards. <laughs> and I can see why brother didn't yeah. want to work with him again. He's in a foundry, almost getting hit by molten lava. He's on top of cars. He's buried... He, he apparently almost got killed by that train. Um, yeah. You know, and... Yeah, he, he's he's sort of saying, look, guys, you know, this is... Yeah, all right. it's very showy and flashy, but a lot of work goes into this, you know. and it, it kind of feeds into this idea that the revolution was in every aspect of people's lives and mm-hmm. including the arts.
0: And he's even showing, like, not only that these images are work, but these images are put together by someone uh, yes. who makes choices. Sure. And he shows uh, the editing by his wife, uh, Yelisaveta Vasvilova, who is sitting there, she's cutting the film of images that we are then shown on screen. And we are shown like different compilations of these same images after we see her work and put them together and hang them up on this sort of, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's sort of this light wall. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's just so interesting how, like he is really showing us okay this is how this is how we are working today with making films
1: and it does have something even more interesting in those scenes we see his wife editing is that you see her editing clips that happen twenty minutes later into the film mm. and there's no kind of um I, I suppose the film does have some structure, but it, it it's interesting that that you, you sort of see this kind of glimpse into what the future of the film's going to be and and how this is going and like you say it's about the thought and the effort that goes into it. And it is very different from the Eisenstein films that I think, where I don't think the juxtaposition between the edits is makes the same type of political points that those guys were doing. Hmm. I, I think it's a lot more... I think it shows the connection between people. Because I don't know if you You see that picture of um, the ladies having their nails done? Uh, I can't remember that one. Yeah, they're in, like, a beauty parlour or something okay. like that. And you see, like the lady, the ladies having their nails done and then it cuts to his wife like actually scratching the negative with her nails and mm-hmm. i don't I, I, I don't think it's kind of showing the you know the the bourgeoisie having their kind of fineries and their nails done and then look at my wife she's working what i think it shows is the connection between the two that the you, know, mm-hmm. you can still be feminine in this world that, that there is a kind of a, a fo- through line with the editing to kind of show the unity between people whereas i think if it was eisenstein doing it he probably would edit it in that way to make a point you would see women laughing having their nails done whilst a poor malnourished girl was filing away then it would Mm come back to something you know her mother's kind of bitten hardened nails chopping vegetables (laughs) in the gulag and it would make the point but i don't think first i think he does it i think he kind of I think this is a far more positive experience of what r- contemporary Russia at that time was like mm. Yeah uh,
0: it's, It comes across at least as more nuanced uh, for me um, even though we, we understand where he's coming from it's, uh, it's somewhat more forgiving of the ones who are perhaps not part of the worker proletariat movement that he's uh, definitely advocating
1: Yeah he's showing I mean this doesn't look like I mean let's say let's just say for argument's sake that we believed that this was just a Russian town mm-hmm. at this time we now know that it wasn't of course but I think he's <coughs> this doesn't look like a bad place to live no it looks a fairly quite very modern the streets We we see the streets being cleaned we see people socialising we see kind of exercise and it's but it kind of it, it doesn't have... I don't I don't think it kind of beats the drum of the revolution, mm. perhaps, as much as the other ones does. It's certainly not kind of glorifying the past like the other ones seem to do. Um, or, you know, especially kind of like, you know, uh, the battleship Temkin, which mm. is still a, a fantastically entertaining film and brilliant, but it doesn't have that kind of... It doesn't have that... As perhaps the anger that those films have. Mm. Uh, that the, the sense that... And they are obviously brilliant films, but they are overtly propagandistic in nature whereas this i feel kind of it's a little bit more subtle he kind of seems to be he he seems to be more interested in having a great time with the camera Mm -hmm. and than he does kind of sort of telling us to you know that this is the the best thing this revolution in this world that they're living is the best thing ever and don't Mm -hmm. forget as well this film isn't at the time, this wasn't being made with the international market mind. They weren't thinking about how this was going to play in America. They weren't worried about busting the Chinese market. It was being made for the people that lived there.
0: It, it's really, you say it's made for the people who live there, uh, and yet it is such an avant-garde experimental film where I think uh, Roger Ebert, he introduces his review uh, with comparing the average shot length yes. of the contemporary films, and this film, where, uh, for those of you who haven't read it, the average shot length of a Soviet film in the late 20s, it was 11.2 seconds. And this has uh, an average shot length of 2.3 seconds, which is uh, Michael Bay's Armageddon film. So (laughs) that really underlines just how big a leap this was from the ordinary films that were shown. And... Really, I think some critics said that it doesn't take into consideration the fact that the human eye uh, it fixes on a certain space of time, which holds its attention. So, in other words, he was saying that it's just too damn fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean which I mean, is it, it, it,
0: just funny to read now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and how um, visionary he was, Vertov. I he, he would he would, if he was alive today, making films. This guy would be one of the most influential. People working in marketing, I would say. I mean, the attention span on YouTube is five seconds. Mm. That's how long people watch a film. And It's funny you should mention that average shot length because I read that as well, and it made me it made me realise. You know, if you were going to go and watch this film at the time, I mean, could you imagine sitting there? I, I, I was trying to think of an example in the modern world where I've gone to the cinema and literally I've been like, I've never seen anything like this before in my entire life, and I possibly Avatar, that was the first 3D film that I'd ever seen, and it was on IMAX, you know, there was a few yeah, yeah. technical scenes going for it there. But, yeah, if you'll, if you're, you know, tip up to the cinema and this is on, and it's only an hour long. I mean, that's one of the things that I didn't go back and watch um, some of the Eisenstein, the um, is it Padovkiv uh, films or whatever. I can't remember the guy's name now, but... Um, at the end of St. Petersburg, because they are pretty long films. Mm-hmm. I suddenly thought, no, no. but this is—you know—it's a brisk hour-long. It's, it, and it's—it's it's obviously been made with this kind of kinetic energy, and he's just gone right chop, 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 chop. And I, it would have been revelatory seeing it at the time. I'm not sure what people would have made of it. I can imagine it might have been a bit kind of a bit hard to swallow. They might have looked at him as being the Michael Bay. Of his day, you know, get you know, stop, stop faffing around. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. See, you know, put your, you know, stop moving that camera. Let me have a look at it. You know, like, <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? This is just art for art's sake, and it did make me ask some uncomfortable questions about Michael Bay. I won't <laughs> deny it. <so. laughs> I did, I did sit there and think, oh God, what if Michael Bay's actually a genius and I'm completely wrong? I don't know.
0: It will take us 90 years to find out. So
1: yes. I think can we both agree though that that Benghazi film is all right? Are we are we allowed to say that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah of, of course. Yeah. Okay. But all right is different from a masterpiece. Yeah,
1: it's yes, all right. It's different from a masterpiece. But yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, I, I really but enjoyed, it is like really you have these th- these experimental this experimental approach. But it it's so greatly like contrast this whole slice-of-life project, and that's what makes this film such an interesting item to discover and to watch again and again, how he just melds those two together, those two contrasting approaches where it's not a documentary, it's not strictly avant-garde, but it's something in between. And I guess someone who came to mind immediately was Chris Marker and uh, his Saint-Soleil film, for instance, which is... Also, something you could argue is uh, a documentary, but definitely an avant-garde film.
1: Yes, um, I think one of the reasons why this film is such an oddity out there is because, despite his protestations that he wanted to change cinema and create this language, it clearly didn't resonate that much. With, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can look at it now, but I mean, I think I don't. I don't think Man with the Movie Camera fundamentally altered the path of film it, I still think it kind of even Russian films slowly moved more towards the kind of the invisible editing m- yeah. more personal dare I say bourgeois stories if we're going to kind of um, <laughs> if we're going to you know well bourgeois sentimentalities, you know like the self and yeah, you see even Tarkovsky his films are mm-hmm. immensely personal and they're all about the self and obviously you know I think the technicalities of the film have had a massive impact in cinema, which we'll get to. But I think one of the reasons why it stands out is because it simply didn't really kick off that kind of movement. I dare say, I think you do have those kind of city symphonies, but none of them are as expressive as this, none of them are as eye-catching as this, and none of them are as inventive as if, I I, I, I would argue, quite things I mean, but... um, it's still, I mean, I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with classifying films in a certain genre or in a certain way um, because I think it can, kind of comes loaded with um, preconceived conventions as to what you're going to get. Whereas with Man with the Movie Camera, it, I don't know, it, an, it almost functions as an art installation in a way. Mm. It, it has that kind of um, quality to it. Yeah, it really wears that, like, avant-garde
0: style proudly um, and really emphasising it. Like you were saying, it's playing with the camera and its abilities and showing that it can go absolutely anywhere. And it's sort of... It's interesting thinking that he thought the camera could be everywhere, but he was lunking around this like, big, heavy, noisy camera around town. So he had to create like, distractions uh, so that people wouldn't notice the camera that was actually filming. But nowadays we have these small cameras. We have the, the, like, the noiseless cameras. So it would be such an interesting experiment having a guy like Zygavartov making
1: that sort of film today.
0: I'd love uh, what to go back what kind back, of images
1: and, would he come up with? I'd love to go back in time and give him a GoPro
0: yeah,
1: and a drone <laughs> and then just see what he could come up with. But, mm. I mean, what, what he does in the film as well, I mean, he'll show you, like, a scene of cars passing overhead and then he'll cut to a long shot of the cameraman lying on the floor getting up from the car coming over his head. And I think what he's sort of saying is, look how dangerous this is. This is this mm-hmm. is how it's done. It's not just, it doesn't just magically appear. There's a process here. Mm-hmm. And it, on that, on that way, I mean, it kind of, it, it's almost like a magician telling you how they're doing the tricks. Mm. And it, in a way, I think it's an educational piece as to the mm-hmm. art of filmmaking. I think that's one of the things that really kind of struck me about it was because he, you could see, theor- I suppose in theory, I mean, I don't know how how easy it was to get hold of these cameras that he had, but, it's almost like I, I suppose a kind of you know a rallying cry. You know, go out there and do your own. Mm. Grab grab these cameras and see what you can get up to yourselves. And uh, you know, it's kind of a pity that it didn't it didn't kind of kick off. But I guess that must be you know, there must have been technical limitations because, like I said, you know this isn't just he's not just pressing the button. And the film's running. They're having to do it themselves, which is you know, obviously extremely difficult.
0: Hmm. Mm. You have. Um, Also, um, similarities to a a filmmaker that um, you are not particularly fond of, I think. Jean-Luc Godard. Yes. And I I, I was thinking about him because this is such a political filmmaker. And Godard, in, in in his own way, it's also such a political filmmaker in the way that he he approaches film uh, in the way that he believes film to be something more than just art, yeah, and it, it really has a political angle and a clear statement that aligns himself away, or he doesn't align himself with his contemporaries. But it's it's like a rallying call, as you were talking about.
1: Yeah, I see. I don't think that I I, I know that um, Vertov was. A Marxist, and he was you know, very much dedicated to the cause. But I've never really taken that much politics out of *Man with a Movie Camera*. I, hmm. I've, I've never really. I'm. I don't really kind of see this as kind of flag waving. Uh, revolutionary rhetoric. I, I've never taken that from it. I, no,
0: I was thinking more in the lines of like he's rallying for people to express their own views, for people to, or he has. It feels like he, Vertov has an intention to, um, that people need to get something out of this more than just entertainment.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he, he wants to, he, he wants his, I suppose he wants his audience to be intellectually moved by what they're watching. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's what he's trying to, well, as I suppose any filmmaker would be, you want them to have, you want to elicit some sort of response in the audience. And I think really? I, I mean,
0: <laughs> it feels like nowadays, uh, or most of the time, um, filmmakers are more interested in just telling the story in an economic, easy fashion. I don't, I don't always feel like they want us to go out there and make art, or go out there and fight for our beliefs, or something like that.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that kind of, I, I can't imagine if, if if you're making a film, I would probably say. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that statement. I have to be okay. honest. I think if you're a filmmaker, you would want to elicit something from the idea that... I can readily assure you that if you're a filmmaker and you made a film that people forgot about from the time they walked out of the cinema to their car, I, I reckon that would disappoint you greatly. That that what I would agree with. Um, but
0: uh, I feel like... I don't feel like I'm wrong in saying that most of the time you don't come away with that feeling. Perhaps the ambition is there, but it doesn't. It seldom comes through for me.
1: Yeah. Well, possibly. I mean, I, I, I mean, I try and take everything out of something out of everything I watch. Um, mm. No matter how, um, I suppose, vapid the intention. I would say I, I only managed twenty minutes of Independence Day research before <laughs> I just I, I had to check out and say this is just just not even. Thing. But. You know, even in bad films, I guess, that I see, I try and kind of take some some nugget of information out of them and also just anything, really, any kind of emotional response to them. You know, I always try and look for that and try and kind of hook myself into it. Hmm. Um, and I think what Vertov is doing, he's he's trying to show his audience that this, like like he, you know, like he actually you know, explicitly states, he doesn't want them kind of we sat in there daubing their eyes with their hankies because... Um, the two lovers haven't quite worked out because that's kind of nonsense really in his view it's, 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 that's the kind of petty nonsense that people kind of preoccupy their minds with he wants them to react and mo- he wants them to react intellectually to the images that he's creating and I think what I, the man with the movie camera does is I I, I personally think that dare I say I think it was probably too highbrow for its own good mm-hmm I, I would I, I would contest that a lot of people who went and saw this probably just thought what on earth is going on here I don't understand any of this or mm. it enjoyed the kind of the, the flea-throwing camera but I, I can't see many people at the time really kind of getting that a, a great deal out of it in the terms of on, on what he was hoping they would do
0: mm. I think yeah because you I would argue that you would need some sort of Knowledge about the film process to appreciate what he's doing. Yes. Um, and in that regard, it, it is educational, but it's, you need sort of a you need some sort of basic knowledge in order to truly appreciate what he's doing. Um, it doesn't, you can't really capture all the intricacies of how to make a film and all the difficulties that goes with it, and just how difficult it is to convey an idea uh, through film.
1: Yeah, and I, I, the other thing as well, I would, I would dare to suggest, is that a lot of the people who were living in Russia at that time. Would have known, would have seen the fallacy of mm. what they were being told. In, in fact, it was just simply wouldn't have tallied up with mm. the date, like we said before, the day to day, the, the data existence wouldn't tally with what was coming through as the propaganda. And mm. I dare say a lot of them found it quite ridiculous. I mean, this was completely you know, hypothetical, I don't know for sure, obviously, but I would imagine it, people aren't idiots, they see through things. People going to watch this film, I dare say, weren't that bothered about how films were made and what what actually went into them and what you have here is it's a film in its own right but it's also a making of of itself which is kind of a crazy (laughs) kind of way of thinking about it Mm -hmm. um
0: do you have anything else Uh, i have a couple of more films um which are related but um yeah yeah I was thinking, I I saw that uh, Belfast film you recommended and also, I had heard about it because I I listened to the um, oh, what's it called? The the Dario Linares and uh, what's the other guy's name? Podcast Um, I have it right here The Cinematologist podcast,
1: um,
0: where they had an interview with Mark Cousins, uh, and he talked about um, the film. Uh, But I found it really... It is really an interesting film. It's a very different film from uh, Man with a Movie Camera in that it doesn't... uh, It doesn't nearly um, comment on itself in such a degree that Vertov does. But but it does. Yes, Um, it
1: does. I think it does. I think the thing... I mean, there's that scene in um, I Am Belfast where... It shows It's like a freeze frame of someone walking past a pub. And it's suddenly, the whole film just suddenly stops. Mm-hmm. And then he takes like five minutes and he comes back to it and explains the significance of the pub. And there is an abstraction to it. And I, I found with I Am Belfast, I was regularly taken out of the film and made aware of the fact I was watching a film.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but it was- never bothered me. Yeah, I was, th- I was thinking more of the lines of, like, he's not um, such an, um, he doesn't comment on it in such an aggressive way, uh, no. Davertov He's more, um, it is much more like relaxed film uh, and uh, a ponderous film in, in a way, like if you've seen uh, his um, uh, uh, film an Odyssey or something. Uh, oh, I've got
1: film. Um, yeah, film. Artists, it's um, I can't remember yeah, what its title, yeah. but I know the documentary. I own it and haven't watched it yet, but I yeah. need to.
0: But it does no. really remind me of, or it, it really shows his uh, filmmaking style uh, and how he approaches um, editing and how he approaches uh, voiceover, uh, yes. which is uh, very, very distinct and very unique. I think.
1: I mean, I, I can only say I am Belfast is one of it's one of my favourite films of the year. I in. It, that's kind of, be, be honest, I don't think this has been a particularly great year. And I, it was. It mm. came along at a time when I was, like, really wanting to see something that was completely different. And it was really the inspiration I took for, for choosing the man with a movie camera. Um, and it, I guess in a way, it, it's not as kind of, um, <clears throat> it doesn't break the fourth wall of filmmaking so much. Because we know how films, you could literally go out now and, and make a city symphony on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um which is, I think that's a brilliant thing. I, I think that, I think Vertov would be, would love that idea mm. that we could all go out and do it. And it's a shame that we don't have this. Well, you know, Instagram and things like that, you know, you see little kind of snippets and little kind of, little kind of vignettes into people's lives. But it seems to be a genre in a way for me, this whole kind of like city symphony movement that I'm surprised it isn't as kind of uh, popular. As it is now It seems like have, We have the, 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 All the tools are there mm-hmm. To go and do it and, and I think Like we said I mean I'd love to go Through time And plonk Vertov down In Manchester uh, And give, give him some You know A drone And a Basic kind of Dolly or what have you you would have a field day Making yeah. these films And uh, Sadly It doesn't seem To have happened
0: Didn't um, Was it Terence Davies Didn't even make A, a Liverpool film I'm not was familiar it? with it if he did okay I, th- I think I remember it but I, I, I haven't seen it yet so um, another film that uh, was brought to my mind was um, uh, People on Sunday yeah, the Criterion film uh, yes. which came out I think it came out the same year or maybe a year later um, but it's also kind of a day in life uh, but in Berlin I think at least in Germany um, yes it is yes
1: yeah, in Berlin yeah,
0: yeah. Uh it was a quite an interesting, um, interesting film in that it shows the day-to-day life in more of a, quote-unquote, normal way. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't contain that avant-garde, that, that experimental approach, but it really just—it's a slice of life, um, but truly interesting uh, at that. So.
1: Well, I mean, one of the reasons why I love the man with movie camera is I—I am I, so into history. I'm fascinated by it, and I—I'm—I'd I'm, I, love seeing how what the streets looked like in those days. Yeah. I like seeing how the mechanics of life were then and it's as a historical document it's a fascinating film. Um, I recently watched the Bob Dylan film Don't Look Back and it had scenes that were in Manchester and he was arriving at the station that I go to every single morning. Yeah. And it was fascinating seeing Manchester in those days, you know, these neon signs in cafes and whatnot and it still looked as wet and miserable then as it is now, and it was strangely <laughs> reassuring. But yeah, just as, as historical documents, these films are absolutely incredible. I mean, they're they're so interesting. And one thing's about the man with the movie camera is you have these um, th- th- these moments. And I, I don't know. I like like the woman giving birth. Yeah. And for, it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. But <laughs> it's, it, it's you know it's, it's suddenly there, isn't it? And stuff. But you sort of have like. You know, an incident occurs where the fire brigade have to go out and I'm assuming that they're trying to rescue someone. You have people being born, you have a funeral procession and you sort of see this kind of the mechanics of daily life. Everyone's at the workhouse and then the bell goes and then we see them all relaxing down on the beach and having fun. And it's uh, it's fascinating to, to me to see that and just to how people lived in those days. And of course, you know, to, to go back to it again, this was Russia... This was the chrysalis of a new, of a new age for this country. Mm. I mean, and we know what's coming. This film was made in nineteen twenty nine, and then I think it was nineteen forty one when G- G- the Germans invaded and kind of like it reset it. But it's just that that you get this glimpse of what was trying to be achieved, and. This guy, Vertov, obviously trying to capture that in a really interesting, avant-garde way. And the two combine to make this fascinating historical document. Mm.
0: And it's not only a document of what has been, but also what what can be, what is this future that we are trying to build together with electricity and industrialisation and what can like hard <laughs> labour achieve. It yeah. is, its It is... Like, it is filmed in five cities, but he's really really trying to show the city,
1: yeah, in a way. I, I mean, I don't know if necessarily Vertov sells me um, the, the idea. I, I don't think I'd want to live there, put it that way. I think I'd probably... I, it, were I alive in the 20s, I'd probably pick somewhere like Chicago. <laughs> that seemed pretty good fun. But, you know, <laughs> the, the, it, yeah, I mean, it shows, obviously, this. Uh, he, he's attempting to, to sell us this... Uh, this ideal of the cause, yeah, obviously he's a patriot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, this is someone who believe he believes this. He he doesn't want you. And it's interesting because he does. We do see those people. and I'm not sure if they are homeless or they're just drunks who have been left out on the streets. But that mm-hmm. kind of interested me a little bit as well because I, I would have thought that perhaps the censors would have come down on him or he would have self censored. But perhaps he isn't um, as naive as to sort of say, look, we don't. We, there, there is this element within our society um, that's still there. Yeah, we we we're trying to to at least try and do something about it. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 what what does come over is the fact that he made I think a, a truly timeless classic film.
0: Mm. And I guess some sort of final words on the film for me is that it's it shows a filmmaker who's is really like reveling in the power of film and he's awed by the possibilities that is in front of him and the power of like editing and the editor himself and he's communicating real events but the emphasis is really on the cinematic and how cinema can transform images and how cinema can imbue images with meaning um you also have scenes where he's really he's imbuing meaning in different ways with the same images, and it just goes to show how much he's playing and how much he's having fun with this, and how much he's attempting to break away from that narrative mold that was the contemporary time. So yeah, a truly, truly remarkable film that is, as we've been saying, quite unique.
1: Yeah, and it it, it could have only have been made at the time it could have been made in the in the in the the political circumstances, the historical time. And it's someone who's gone out and has got a camera. And it's like cameras are fun. And I mean, I, you know, you can have a great great going out of a camera and capturing images. And to a degree, you do see it now with people buying drones mm. and stuff like that and flying them over things and posting their videos up on YouTube and just enjoying what images can do. Mm. And that's what I take out of this. I, I feel it's just an explosive sort of homage to just how how good this this invention is and how much fun we can have with it um it's kind of a pity that he, he didn't kind of carry on in this style <laughs> do you know i mean i, I mean I, I know he kind of goes back to saying that he wanted to kind of move I mean, it's, i'm i'm glad that it failed in a way and all films weren't like this because i think it got pretty boring but its dna has gone through the history of films. I was thinking. Whilst I was thinking, I was thinking about Baraka and Samsara and the mm. I films. It's still there. That I, I think they owe a, a debt at this, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it will. Um, it will stand the test of time, and I, I, can, I can hand and heart say it's not only one of my favourite films, but I also. And I, and I don't like kind of, sort of labelling the best, but I think it is one of the best films that's ever been made. I think it belongs in that category of mm. like, of, of where you have to sort of say, yeah, this is one of the defining defining films in film history.
0: Mm. Um, the the box set that Massive Cinema uh, put together it also includes three other films. I think it was. Um, yes. I've I, I, I've saw I saw those when it first arrived, but none of them really stood out to me. Um, no. And it it. It was more on the line of uh, a day-to-day life documentary in that way, in that it, it, it doesn't seem like he's having as much fun no. um, experimentally. It no, seems he feels- like he spent everything on Man with the Movie Camera.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit... I, I felt like I was doing homework yeah. when I was watching those films. I have to be brutally honest with you. I'm really glad. I mean, I know we're going to do a we'll an end-of-year review show, and I can probably spoil it now by saying this one will be pretty high up in my list of releases um, but I was watching these films going yeah this is, this is proper homework this is tough going um, hmm. but um, it has reignited my interest in Soviet cinema, it's an area where I, I haven't watched as many films as I should have, I do um, I, I I am a massive fan of like John Gearson and Humphrey Jennings from the GPO film unit and what they took out of the montage and russian films and how they applied it to their work and i feel like i need to go back and kind of get more into it and learn more about it and see more of these films um but yeah this is this is an hour and seven minutes the man with a movie camera some of those tally in at two three hours and it's yeah it's tough going but um this is as a blu-ray package as you said as well about watching this on the big screen or, or sorry projector as it were it's the, the print of this was absolutely dazzling i have to say i think mm-hmm. it was exceptional
0: absolutely and it looks way um, or oh, the man with the movie camera is uh, remarkably or uh, markedly uh, more pristine than the rest yes. of the films and it, it really does speak to um how it is in a different league than uh, the supplemental features
1: yeah no it's, it's yeah it's an outstanding package I mean, yeah it, 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 i i understand i think the, the, the print that they found i think was from when he toured it around europe or something like that and someone came across it so yeah but absolutely fantastic stuff
0: yeah and it contains um a booklet about uh 100 pages or so um which is dense and i've yet to crack it open
1: yes <laughs> yeah, i would say I, I would say as well i mean i, I think i've spoken about it before um about soundtracks to silent films and Man with Moon Cameras actually sound was actually played without sound, it was completely silent. But the score by the alloy or- orchestra that's been done for it is brilliant. Um, and, I, and I've said it before, I'm a massive fan of like um, dance music, like techno and house, and all that kind of stuff. And what I kind of took out of it was how uh, the music and the images kind of follow a very, very similar. Um, construction pattern to that type of music, it kind of builds and builds and builds and then just explodes and kind of slows itself down and comes back again um, as an experiment I was thinking about trying to score it to techno and I, was actually <laughs> thinking, I was actually thinking about songs that I would I would do it to but it's one of the rare examples I think where it's an absolutely fantastic score and it sounded absolutely amazing actually, I had it cranked up um, and uh, yeah I was completely sucked in by it
0: Interesting, but it, it's always interesting like putting... Um putting music uh, out of its time with a film uh, such yeah. as this uh, you can always it's uh, it's interesting how you can always find links even though
1: it is randomly chosen yeah well I mean I think it just shows that the kind of that what, what people enjoyed in what people enjoyed then is similar to what they enjoy now mm. it's just in a different context it's like a slightly kind of different environment but mm. it, it does play through time as it were mm. Okay,
0: so we can start wrapping things up yeah. then. Um, where can people find you online?
1: Um, you can find me at 24framescast.blogspot.com at Twitter at 24framescast. You can find me um, on Facebook, uh, Tom Jennings. I'm the one who looks like he's urinating on the devil's co- Giant's Causeway. And I wasn't, I was taking a picture. <laughs> Everyone keeps saying it, but yeah, I'm that one.
0: Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and uh, you can also find us on moccast.blogspot.com or on iTunes, criterioncast.com. Uh, we're basically everywhere. Just search for Master of Cinema Cast and you will probably find us. Please leave a review on iTunes. That will help us greatly achieve more listeners. Um, and I guess until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.